Welcome to School of PE Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Miller, and I'm so glad that you could join me this week. We are going to discuss topics about FE, PE, and SE, and we're also going to answer questions that will help students prepare for their exams. Let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the School of PE's podcast. I'm Chris Miller, and today I got a, a special guest here with me, uh, Mr. Mitch Hansen. Um, so please, everyone, welcome him aboard. And uh, Mitch, thanks for joining me today. Absolutely, Chris. Thanks for having me. All right. Before we dive in, how's your week going so far? It's going really well. All right. And where are you at, Mitch? I'm out of Columbus, Ohio. Where are you? I'm in Fort Collins, Colorado, actually. Oh, I used to live in New Mexico, so uh, not too far from Colorado. Yeah. So does the green chili travel your uh, your direction as well? Do you guys get any uh, of that New Mexico chili? Yes. <laughs> and actually, uh, even tried some hatch green chili at a farmer's market this year and pretty hot. <laughs> well, yeah, but the hatch green chili, that's the, that's the real McCoy. That's the yeah. real, that's a real deal. So, all right, well, great. So we're in for a good time today. Um, well, Hey, you know what, let's start off by you telling us a little bit about yourself. Absolutely. So again, Mitch Hansen, uh, I'm a graduate from the university of Colorado Boulder. I uh, graduated in 2012. Um, and then have worked for a few companies since then, uh, worked for Turner construction as a general contractor for the first few years out of school in New York city. Uh, and then worked for a lighting and electrical firm only in Denver AE Design. And then um, coming up to just about two years now with my current company, Professional Engineering Consultants. Uh, they're based out of Wichita, but like I said, we've got an office about 15 people, um, full service oh, wow. engineering firm here in Fort Collins. All right. Fort Co How do you like living out there in Fort Collins besides maybe the winters? It's great. I actually grew up here in town, so it's oh, okay. to explore a little bit. Got to have my East Coast adventure in New York City, and um, but yeah, it's a hard town to beat. So living, growing up in Colorado, living in Colorado, going to the East Coast, how was New York for you? Very exciting. Uh, very populated. <laughs> so <laughs> That it is, but I, I'm going to have to assume you had some good pizza while you were there. Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> yeah, definitely a lot uh, more people. And also traffic is a bear. I'm from LA and I thought traffic was bad, but holy cow, I've never hear, heard the honk, uh, the horn honk so much in my life. Yeah, I was fortunate. I, uh, I didn't have a car while I lived there. So it was just bicycle, subway and taxis. <laughs> well, that's not bad. Relying on the public transportation. That's not a bad way to get around. So, hey, let's kind of jump into the meat and potatoes of the day. So, um, you know, one of the benefits of being a PE is that, you know, you no longer have to look for someone to st stamp. You're able to do that on your own. So, you know, when someone says, hey, can you stamp these sets of drawings? What are they really asking you for? And what are they asking you to do? So once you become a PE, um, it's easier when you actually start with your company, you can ask them. That was one of the first things that I did is that you'll actually get a physical stamp that has the state that you're licensed in and your actual professional engineer license number. So that is something that you will physically get. Um, you'll also usually, at, at this point, there's a lot of digital copies of that. But mm -hmm. stamping a set of drawings means that you're actually putting your certification on that set of drawings, that everything that's encompassed in that drawings is safe and to the um, professional standard of care. So Very cool. So, well, yeah, I'm, I'm assuming, you know, what they say, with great power comes great responsibility, right? So, you know, what are some of the professional liabilities that come along with or is assumed with the stamp? So it is your, like when you put your stamp on a set of drawings, it's it's you on the line. So you're, you're certifying that 
all of the calculations are correct. Um, I, as I, I don't know if I mentioned, I'm an electrical engineer, mm -hmm. um, but that's where I'm making sure that all my calculations are right, that I've looked at the national electrical code and ensured that everything is within the requirements of that. So it, it does, if there ever is anything wrong, that is something where they, they will look at who actually stamped the set of drawings. Um, but then also look at your company. So you you are kind of putting yourself on the line when you stamp a set of drawings. It's a lot of uh, burden to carry on the shoulders, but you know it's not a bad thing though either. So yeah. um, that's that's pretty cool. So um, can you describe maybe the typical you know insurance practices in the industry? Right. So that's that's one thing that is a little comforting when you're saying, oh my gosh, I'm on the line for this. Um, engineering firms do have professional liability insurance so along with other things like workers comp and um, automotive like if you have a company car they do have professional liability insurance so that's where they cover omissions mm -hmm. and um, errors so everybody understands um, there's actually some really good articles out there about clients expectations of perfection we're, mm. we're engineers we practice engineering where there's nobody can be perfect all of the time um, so companies actually have insurance where you are covered to a certain amount. It depends on your company. So that's definitely, if you're interested, that's something to ask your company. Um, but usually it's up to the amount of your actual contract for that project. Um, but in some cases, like with municipalities, you could be required to have up to maybe a million dollars of coverage. So um, one thing that I've always thought is interesting is that usually insurance policies are covered in amount per claim and then an aggregate amount as well okay that makes sense so let's say you put your stamp of approval on something and it just goes haywire so who i guess is ultimately responsible the, your company or you yourself so that's where the help of your insurance coverage um comes into play so unless you are in a professional engineer striking out on your own um you usually are covered underneath your company's insurance. So that is, um, it again, it, it's all dependent on, on the company that you work for, but uh, that's something that you can't expect. So when you stamp your set of drawings, if something really does go terribly wrong, that is something where your company will back you up as well as your insurance group. And almost always um, engineering firms also have legal counsel that'll help you out in those situations, but. Makes sense. It's a, one of those, uh safety nets that you hope you don't ever have to uh to utilize but it's definitely nice to um to have there in your back pocket so you know thanks for sharing that with us mitch so you know when people start to venture out into their journey to become an engineer you know you take your fe and then eventually you move on to your your pe so let's say i have my fe and i'm kind of like you know i'm, I'm kind of comfortable where i'm at you know maybe i'm someone that took my fe much later in life after i've been you know working for 10, 15 years. So if I were to come to you and say, hey, you know, Mitch, I'm, I'm thinking of getting my PE, but, you know, I'm kind of happy where I'm at. You know, what are some of the professional benefits, I guess, that, you know, you might be able to pass along and say, hey, you know, you can expect this after you obtain your PE. So one of the, one of the first ones, and I think it's usually what people ask is, will I get paid more? <laughs> um, so from the surveys that I've seen, it's usually about a 5% pay increase. Um, that's also something that you can negotiate beforehand. So if you are having those conversations with your company saying, hey, this is something that I'm trying to determine if I want to pursue, um, that's something that you could start to negotiate and figure out there. Um, one of the things that I think is very valuable is the amount of mobility that it provides you if you do want to change companies. So that 
professional engineer license is a standard across the nation. So you have to pass a test from the NCES. And that is something that across the board, people understand what went into that. So that that is something that companies really do, um, they value when you're trying to maybe look for something new in a different location or at a different firm. Very cool. Mobility is nice to have, you know, it provides you with a lot of different options as well. So, I mean, are tr people treated differently once they obtain their PE? So, you know, maybe like, you know, you used to, let's say you have your FE and you're sitting in uh, a conference room or a boardroom and, you know, you're with the same people that you've been with for years. And then all of a sudden now you've gotten your PE. Do you think you're going to notice maybe a little different treatment coming around your way? Absolutely. There's always the joke that kind of comes out, I think, because it, it is a pretty big deal once you pass. Um, but I know that I've experienced it myself where after that moment, you're sitting in a room and uh, a design question comes up and everybody will look at you and say, well, you're the one with the stamp now. <laughs> so um, yeah, there, there is a bit more expectations that you should be prepared for. Um, I think with anything though, people understand in most places, it takes four years after your FE to be able to sit for your PE. Four years into a 30 or 35 year career is still pretty fresh. So it's, yes, there there will be some more expectations, but there's also that understanding that you still have plenty to learn. Very nice. Well, good. So it's kind of nice to kind of know what the expectations or what you can kind of expect to, around the corner when you make that transition from the FE to the PE. Um, you know, so, once you obtain your PE, there's certain things you got to do to help ensure that you keep your PE. Um, so can you kind of go over some of the steps that, you know, you have to go through to, you know, make sure that you keep, you're up and current with your PE license? Absolutely. Uh, it really depends on what state you're licensed in. So I, I feel somewhat fortunate. Um, I am not required by the state of Colorado to do any continuing education my main concern is that every two years i just need to renew my license so oh wow i actually just did that within the last week or two so i'm i'm my two-year pe now <laughs> um but for other states uh you may have to actually participate in professional development hours you may see those as pdh right right the abbreviation and so that depends like i said per state it can vary anywhere from 15 hours uh per period up to I think 36 is the mm -hmm. most in, in New York City or New York State. Um, but yeah, that's so you have to make sure that you renew your license. And then you also have to make sure that you're current on your professional development hours. Absolutely. I mean, you, I look at this way, you go through all that hard work, studying, preparing, you know, giving up your Friday nights watching ball to study for your PE. The last thing you want to do is let it lapse. Um, so, you know, as Mitch has said, each state has its own sets of requirements, whether it's an annual, biannual requirement, um, just check with your state board. Make sure you stay on top of that because you don't want to have to sit for the exam all over again. I can't imagine that that being a lot of fun there. So, well, thanks for sharing that with us, Mitch. Um, let me ask you this. So when you took the exam, uh, you, when did you take the exam again? Was it 2012? Uh, spring of 2019. Oh, 19. I'm sorry. Yep. So paper, pencil. Correct. Uh, paper. Yep. So now that exam is moving to be computer based, or it has moved to be computer based. Um, any advice that you might give people that are, you know, that are preparing for the exam? You know, maybe they took it as a paper pencil, and now they got to take it as a CBT. What kind of advice can you give those folks out there? My main piece of advice is to try to simulate as best as you can. So um, the NC 
NCEES does have some resources on what you can expect for that computer-based test. Um, I, I had the for fortune of actually taking it with pencil and paper, and so I was able to pretty much simulate what test A was going to look mm -hmm. like. Um, but that's what I would say is even if you aren't able to use the actual program, try to set it up in as best as what you understand the test will be like, and then close all the doors, make it like you're actually taking that test so you can prepare prepare mentally. It, it's a it's a long time to do two four-hour sessions and make sure you're eating right. It's all those things <laughs> that you don't think of um, when you're actually going into the test where you're like, oh, I didn't realize that I should know when I'm going to drink water or know what actually tastes good when I'm doing a four-hour test and then have to do another four-hour test afterwards. I agree. So it's like it's a marathon for sure. I mean, I, that's a long exam. There's no doubt about it. Um, Preparation is important. You know, people do everything from, you know, taking review courses, studying on their own, um, taking practice tests, you know, looking into question banks. How valuable did you find, you know, maybe taking practice tests and not even about simulating the exam experience, because I think that's invaluable. Um, but what about just taking practice tests, that repetition? Did you do that? And did you find it beneficial? Absolutely. The more you can do, the better. Um, there's a wide range of difficulty out there. So the NCEES does provide their, here is our official group of test questions that you can work from, but there are also a lot of other resources that you can work from. And so that gives you a good idea of the range of, okay, here's some that may be a little bit easier. They can help you build your confidence, get a lot of the basics down, but then you get into some of those more difficult questions. So uh, absolutely, the more, more you can do, the better, but then also be going through those solutions once you've given it a shot and making sure that you understand them as best as you can. That's some good advice. So, I mean, I guess this question kind of depends on who you ask because everyone might answer it a little differently, but let's give it a shot anyway. So how long did you st spend studying and preparing for your exam? I ended up in basically a, a two-month period. So I would have much rather um, <laughs> had a little more time. Uh, it was through my application process that I was right on the cusp of whether I was going to be able to take the exam in the spring or the fall. And so I got in under the wire. But yeah, it was two months of studying, but that was pretty much a part-time job outside of my normal job. So um, I did use the School of PE course and so was doing uh, four weeks for four hours for four days a week. Mm -hmm. um, but then on top of that was studying on my own and then taking usually at least one or two days on the weekend to um, to actually practice as well. So I don't know if I have a total number of hours, mm -hmm. but it was hardcore two months. Yeah, it sounds like a solid boot camp, a little, I mean, longer than boot camp, but that's a solid two months of, of keeping your nose to the grindstone there. Um, yeah. That's that's great. So, you know, one of the things is, I'm going to ask you to walk you walk us through a typical day for you when you're preparing. But you know, one of the reasons why it's an important thing is you know we're coming upon the October exam at least for PE civil and the other paper pencils. You know, CBTs they can take them throughout. But you know, kind of walk me through your typical day of you know preparing for the exam. Like, what were you doing to get yourself maybe mentally prepared? And you know, what did you do to prepare as you're getting closer to the exam date? I think the first piece of advice that I would offer is have that conversation with your company. Um, it's not much fun to be studying that hard and then also be having some major deadlines around those same times. And that's something that I really appreciated that my company offered me. I let them know, hey, I'm taking that test in April. I, I'm still going to work for you guys, but I appreciated <laughs> it. Maybe my workload wasn't the, 
the most cutting edge project or the most uh, needy client. So um, that's the first thing is going through work, getting what you need to get done during the workday, but then having those hard cutoffs. So having that understanding with your company where you're saying, hey, I'm leaving at five and I'm sorry, like that's that's what I have to do. And then going home and getting after it. So I was taking the, the four hour courses after mm -hmm. after work. Um, so I was going home, trying to be well fed, uh, trying to be prepared so that I can try to focus because that's five o'clock to nine o'clock here mountain time. All um, right. Right. Yeah. So but yeah, so that was it. And then the last piece of that puzzle is getting as much sleep as you can. I've I've studied for other tests and that's the thing that I have also heard is that just as important as getting all of your studying in and, and making sure that you're prepared is making sure that you're getting good sleep the whole time. That's good. That's good advice. So sleep, food, good combination. Um, thanks for sharing that, Mitch, with us. So, you know, I'm sure you, you know, within your two months, did you have milestones of what did you want to accomplish, you know, maybe at week one, week two? Um, did you go back and rehash anything that you've covered? Like, did you do any refreshing? Maybe, you know, there's four big subjects on the exam, right? So did you say, okay, after I complete, go through two of them, I'm going to go back and review again? Or did you just go in sequence and keep on plugging away? I think most of my study was based off the structure of the School of PE course. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was a good, and I think that that came in the first month that I was studying. So I was able to go in a structured manner of, we're going to cover each of these four sections in each of the four weeks, and then had that opportunity to ask those questions. And then the following four weeks was where I was able to actually work on my own, go back and review things, um, and be prepared. I, I think the other measure for that was setting up, like I said, those <clears throat> practice exam simulations, I think I did one two weeks in advance to get an idea of like, okay, if I got two weeks left and I did this poorly, <laughs> here's where I really need to work. Um, but yeah, those, so those are kind of the milestones, working through the school of PE course and then setting up that simulation day. And then from there, just trying to cover what still didn't feel comfortable. That sounds good. Sounds like a pretty effective plan. It worked. And, you know, here you are sitting as a PE, so that's fantastic. So did you have any of those? Uh-oh moments. And what I mean by that is like you're cruising through the material or maybe even after you completed the course, you still had a month left right before the exam. So maybe you're reviewing things after the course and you're like, holy cow, I thought I knew this better than I did. What, did you have any of those moments? And if you did, what did you do and how did you overcome that obstacle? Yeah, I think I certainly I can't remember the exact portions of the electrical exam, but I know that there were a few that I was like, I'm still just not getting this. Um, so, I mean, I had all my notes from the school of PE, which was a huge help, but a lot of that I was looking personally, um, was just asking people at my office to say, Hey, usually starting with the people that had taken the exam most recently. <laughs> um, but just kind of trying to sit down with them where it's like, I've been banging my head against the wall, trying to figure it out from the books, from my school of PE notes. And I just, I had that value of like being able to point at the same piece of paper with people in my office saying like, how are you, how are you doing this? Well, very cool. It's nice to have kind of a, a network that you can touch base with to maybe, you know, help maybe get you over some of these obstacles that you might encounter because they're going to pop up. It's just how well you deal with them. Uh, that's cool. So behind your head, I see a code book. <laughs> how important is that code book? It's, uh, I won't say it's the Bible, but it is, uh, you better be very familiar with it. So, and this is specifically, here, I'll pull it off the chart. This is, oh, it's also got my sticky notes on the front. <laughs> <laughs> um but this is my 2014 edition. I've got my 2017 and 2020 edition in the office. Um, 
this is something that you need to get to know, <laughs> at least for electrical. Um, I I had never really realized how important that was when I first started with my first company, um, going from construction into more design. They were saying, I, I asked, what can I do to be more prepared to kind of get into this? And they're like, go read the code. And I was like, you guys can't be serious because it's some dry stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, being able to recall things, to be at least familiar with what's in there, there's stuff that you may never know, but just having the idea of like, oh, yeah, there's a there's a section in the code that covers carnivals and electrical power that has to go to carnivals. So just oh, wow. knowing that, like, there's a lot of other stuff, obviously that I always thought that was the fun. Right. Was yeah. Like, I would have never thought that. Either. Yeah. When am I going to design that? But right. um, yeah, that's, it's, it's definitely something to know. And I mean, you get the wide spectrum of people who have never really even looked at it. And then I have taken NEC actual um, educational courses where the instructor can say, and in your code book, not the handbook, but in your code book, you can look at page 78 halfway down on the right side. And that's where that section is. And it's like, wow. <laughs> so. Wow. So let me ask you this, Mitch, about these codes as well. Uh, valuable part of the test, right? You got to know them. So a lot of times when people prepare for an exam, they try to memorize a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. But what I have found, though, is memorization is great, but as you're sitting in the exam, it might not be going according to plan the whole time. You might come across a point in the exam where it just completely baffles you and you kind of go into shell shock and memorization goes out, out the window. So how, I mean, would it be more important for you to probably learn these codes, maybe see how they apply as opposed to saying, okay, I'm just going to simply memorize these codes A through Z and call it a day. I think there's some value to memorizing some things. Um, obviously, you can't memorize everything, but there there are a few things, and you'll also experience them in your career that you'll say, "Oh, a uh, 20 amp circuit uses number 12 wire," and you'll you'll get that down. But um, I think the valuable thing that I think you're kind of pointing towards is learning how to use the tools that you need to. So with the code, being able to look in the index. Um, there are a lot of other situations and, and I was going to say, don't panic. <laughs> so if you are ending up in one of those situations, it is good to be able to practice and say, okay, if I don't know where this is going to be, how can I figure out where it's going to be? So again, yeah, you can't memorize everything, but having that understanding of, I can look in the index, I can look in the table of contents, I can look in a section that's similar to that, that may make a reference towards it. Like there are a lot of other opportunities to work your way to an, to an answer. All right. No, cool. Thanks for sharing that with us, Mitch. So let me ask you a question. We kind of went through your daily activities as preparing for the PE exam. So let's travel back in time a little bit further and let's try to get you to remember what you did to prepare for your FE. So was your journey the same? Did you take some of the things maybe you learned from preparing for the FE and applied it to your preparation for the PE? Or did you just simply copy it and say this worked and do it again for the PE? So I had a a larger gap than normal. I took my FE um, during my final semester at CU. And so I know with that, I had a really great base of friends that I had gone through engineering school with. We were all taking the FE as part of our graduation requirement at CU. And so that was probably one of the biggest things that I had there was just that, hey, we're studying for the FE. We can all do this together. And I don't think I did any formal um, organized course mm -hmm. on preparing for that. But um, that was one of the benefits of the School of PE. Since I took that exam, the FE in uh, 2012, I my time working in New York City didn't count towards my four years. So I think I was actually seven or eight years out 
Oh, um, wow. From when I had originally taken the FE. Um, so yeah, that's where having the school of PE, it was a, hey, and also on my shortened time frame, <laughs> um, knowing like I need something structured. I need something because I don't have that base of friends really that are all in the same situation. Most of the people that I had gone to college with had already gotten their mm-hmm. PEs two or three years prior. So it was a, I, I feel like I got to do this on my own, but I'm going to, again, use the tools and resources that I have. Very cool. So let's kind of switch things up a little bit. So let's imagine that you didn't take your FE in college and you took it seven years later. Knowing what you know from taking the FE, do you think it would have been more difficult taking it seven years removed from college compared to when you actually took it as a, as a, as a college uh, student? I do. I think just and and not or just as much on the getting familiar with the subjects that are going to be on that test but i think the other big part is getting out of that kind of school mindset yeah. that's one thing that i really appreciated is you don't have a full-time job or at least i didn't have a full-time job while i was in school i right. was in the i know how to study i know how to take notes i'm i'm doing this every day as my job i think that's that's what would probably be more difficult um if i were thinking of what it would be like to take that seven years out of school it's it's that hey this is a kind of a new skill that I have to learn on top of learning new subject matter, but really kind of getting back into that, Hey, I'm here to learn. So I agree. And, you know, if you just learn, you know, look at like the FE civil exam, you know, a lot of those topics, statics, dynamics, mathematics, and things like that, those are things that you're doing almost every day while you're a college student. So to relearn those several years later, it's difficult, not impossible. Uh, you know, a lot of people do it, but I would find it easier as well. So now that you have taken us through your journey, of FE and PE, let me ask you this question. You know, I asked you about the uh-oh moment that you had on an exam, but what about that that moment where you said, hey, you know what? Engineering is a path I want to go. When did you realize that you wanted to become an engineer? So that was pretty early on in my college experience. So after high school, um, I actually played a lot of piano and I was like, well, I don't think I'm going to be a professional <laughs> musician. <laughs> um, so I was I was good at math and science. Uh, I really enjoyed architecture and so found a program at, at CU that was just, it, it was actually architectural engineering. And so um, that led me down the path of getting into electrical engineering. And it's just something that it combines both something that I'm interested in and then also something that I feel like I'm, I'm pretty good at. Very nice. Very nice. So now let's say you're at career day at the local high school and you got maybe a high school junior, 16, 17 years old and comes up to you and says, Hey, Mr. Hansen, uh, you know, I'm debating on what I want to do after I graduate, you know, so I'm thinking about engineering, but I'm not sure. So what kind of advice could you give that 16, 17 year old that's contemplating going into engineering? Oh man, I would say (laughs) job shadow, (laughs) but I know, I know that that's, that's a difficult thing to try to bring yourself as a 16 year old to go ask a professional hey can I hang out with you for the day but um if if your parents have a network where it's just like hey your uncle is a civil engineer you can go talk with him um that's one of the main things that I I kind of wish I had had the opportunity is is learning more about what people actually do on the day-to-day um, you hear a lot about different professions and you're like, well, you can be a doctor or an astronaut or you can do all these things. But like, what are you actually doing when it's not the big milestone moment? So like you may think with engineering, it's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be out on a job site every day. And you may need to realize that's more construction management. And so I think it's it's asking those questions of what are you doing on a day to day basis, getting kind of an understanding of that. 
That's some good advice. So, you know, I have the pleasure of talking to engineering students all the time. I talk to, you know, professional engineers, instructors, and, and it, it amazes me how many different directions you can go in engineering, electrical, mechanical, even in civil, there's so many different paths that you can, that you can follow. So it's like, it's a whole, it's a huge world engineering is. So what over your years in engineering has maybe surprised you? Ooh, um, I think just the, the depth of knowledge that some things go. So like you were saying, there's all of those different disciplines that you have within engineering. Um, I think it's just fascinating to me and surprising how deep some of those go and how specialized. So when I started electrical engineering, I was like, oh, well, there's a building and there's lighting and there's power. And, <laughs> and that seemed to make sense to me. But now as I've been in my design career for six or seven years, um, it's finding out things like medium voltage distribution that are not through a utility. It's finding out about um, actual components of light fixtures and how those work. So there's all of these things where it's like, yeah, I, I know everything as soon as you're maybe a year or two in your career, but then <laughs> just as you go further and further, it's just this like, oh my gosh, there's still so much more. <laughs> it's endless. Um, every day is different. It's, it's kind of cool. Um, you know, as our time is coming to an end here today, Mitch, I want to ask you, is there anything out there, anything that you want to share with your listeners that you haven't had the opportunity yet so far today? I would just say if you're on the edge of considering whether to go for your PE or not, if that's why you're listening to this podcast, um, ask questions of people that already have their PE. I think it's a, a great opportunity. Sometimes people don't get to talk about that that much. Um, so definitely ask as much as you can. And then I think it's also, if you're on the edge, I'm going to say go for it. <laughs> it's one of those things where you never know until you try. And if you pull yourself out of the game before it even starts, that you never know where you could have gone. So if, if you're really kind of sitting there like, mm, I don't know if I should do it, at least give it a shot. I agree. What do they say? You miss 100% of the shots that you don't take. Sure. So, um, Mitch, it's been a pleasure with you today. I'd love to have you back, talk some more electrical with you, maybe get into some of those codes and uh, see what we can maybe do a quiz or something on you and see how well you can recall some of those codes. But, hey, I appreciate it. Have a great day out there in uh, Colorado. And for the rest of you, have a great day. And uh, we'll see you for the next episode. Yeah.